Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies of all time and talk about them. Today's episode is a very special bonus episode chatting all about Terabytes, a new five-part documentary series about the evolution of horror gaming from the makers of In Search of Darkness. The series will explore the rich history of horror in the video game world, unraveling the stories behind everything from its pixelated past to its to its newest nightmares and i'm joined by development producer daniel richardson welcome to the show daniel hello hello how are you doing doing well man how the devil are you i am doing fantastic we're just ramping up for uh pre-sales on terabytes next february and it's going real well we're having some exciting discussions i can't say too much on but it's 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 good it's good it's we're all very, under wraps so, oh, pre- yeah. so pre-sales next February is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. So only it's when you say next February, it always makes it sound like super far away because you're alluding to <laughs> yeah, next year, but it's actually only two months away, really. So well, just didn't... yeah, it's it's getting close. I didn't want to terrify you with deadlines by saying <laughs> less than two months away. You get your skates off. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a bit of a, a bit of a sprint to get everything ready and in, in place on time. But like I say, we're having some good conversations with some big scarily important people and uh we've we've got a lot of exciting things going on behind the scenes is there anything behind the scenes that you can share with us at this stage or is it all super under wraps it's it's pretty nda tight at the minute but if you keep following with um on what channels you know twitter facebook instagram um and you check out the website fill in the survey you'll be able to stay up to date with everything that's going on you'll be the first to hear when things release Oh, brilliant. So we can we can link the survey to our listeners, can't we? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fully would encourage it. Yeah. So with the survey, actually, I'll just talk a little bit more about the survey. So sure. Um, for those of you who don't know who we are, um, I'm part of Create a VC. Uh, as uh, Ben's already mentioned, we're the, we're the developers of the In Search of Darkness franchise, this massive horror documentary franchise currently streaming on Shudder, goes through the entire history 
of 80s horror, talking to some of the biggest names from the time. Yeah, Tom Savini's, who are your makeup artists, with, along with like the likes of Screaming Mad George. You've got uh, guys like John Carpenter's in there. In there. We've got people like Robert Englund, who played Freddy from A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy opposite him. Um, and we kind of go through this whole period with creating this curated museum that lets you sort of hear from the people who made the the art that we love so much. Um, and so our whole thing is we are community-powered entertainment. Uh, we very much build with respect to the fans and fandom we are exploring in mind. We are personally fans of these spaces. That's why we make such these... That's why we make these projects with such passion and, and drive. And, um, you know, we'll get really good teams together who are really credible and interested in these spaces and have a lot of background in writing and directing and stuff. Um, but we also don't keep all of that within this small internal base of people. We like to hear from people as to what topics would we would they like us to explore within our docs what people would they like to hear from in this case what games would they like to feature so legitimately we we do i know a lot of people say this whole thing of like oh yeah we read every response we legitimately do read every response and as much as you know i myself who's kind of like conceived of this whole idea and, and brought it to this stage I am a massive fan of horror. I am only one person and my team is only a small team. Um, we want to hear from as many people within this space as possible because we will have blind spots. Um, we've had some mm. really, really great suggestions in the surveys, which is stuff that when it was kind of presented to us, we were like, absolutely, that, that, that should be in there, that we should be talking about this. And it made so much sense once it was pointed out, but it wasn't an angle we considered from before you know suggestions mm. like hey take a look at rpg maker games or um you know roblox horror games because that's kind of like its own weird little yeah sort of culture i know I've seen some um, of that, yeah and you know the, these are things that definitely make sense and it's gonna be determined by like what we can fit in but we are definitely looking into those things now because of survey responses where we weren't before um mm. You know, we had RPG Maker games that we were exploring, but we hadn't specifically explored that sort of period of 2000 to 2006 where they kind of really blew up in the horror space. And now we're mm -hmm. really looking a bit more heavily into that. Um, so if you, the long and short of it all is what I'm saying with this is if you want a chance, like a real genuine chance to affect who appears in this thing, what games we cover, what topics we cover, to literally sort of put your stamp on this massive documentary. Uh, the way to do it is to um, go to our website, which Ben will link, and check out yes. the survey. Like We want to hear Most from you definitely. Guys. I will link that in the show notes to any listeners who want to get involved in that. I'll, put, I'll share it on our socials as well so we can try and drive our listeners towards it. Um, yeah, because that sounds sounds absolutely great. Um, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because you can, when you kind of think about horror gaming, most of the time you think of like the big hitters, you think of survival mm -hmm. horror, you think of like a real certain few gaming franchises, um, forgetting that there are so many offshoots of that. And then also lots of games that you wouldn't necessarily even particularly think of as 
horror, but they've got like horror elements when you talk about Roblox gaming and stuff. Um, yeah, totally. And I mean, horror is such a like loosely defined term anyway. You know, we don't necessarily think of Castlevania as a series mm. of horror games. We think of them as Metroidvanias because the Metroidvania genre kind of trumps their horror label. But then when you look at the aesthetics of them and the influence of them and the way they kind of brought in sort of hammer horror iconography and that kind of gothic horror aesthetics, you can see that they have one foot firmly planted in the horror genre. I mean, people don't think of Doom as a horror game, but like that game used to scare people. Like the demons were monstrous yeah, and there was this, there's lots of people, you know, who played it at the time it came out um, will recall vividly the memory of kind of being around a corner and just hearing that low guttural groan of the demon that they hadn't met yet. And they're wondering what's around that corner for them. There's lots yeah. of, and all of the imagery it used and the, the satanic visuals, like it very much like sat within the horror realm. It's FPS first, but it is a horror FPS. Um, and as much as, you know, we on the team are all kind of like experts in this space, you know, I myself um, have a lot of horror gaming knowledge and a lot of horror knowledge. Um, and, you know, as much as we weren't just looking at the big popular franchises, you know, I've got a fairly wealthy knowledge of like obscure Japanese titles and whatnot. We have our writer who's attached is a really um, incredible games writer called Richard Moss. He's got two books you can just walk into Waterstones and buy now, The Secret History of Mac Gaming and uh, Shareware Heroes. He also wrote and uh, produced FPS doc for us. So, you know, we have like a vivid database of knowledge within our team to pull from. Um, but the because our docs always focus on something that's so large in scope it really helps to get a sense of all of these different diverse perspectives when it comes to what's important to them in the scope of the things we are discussing because it's such a huge huge mm. thing with so many vivid subgenres and different elements and interesting angles to approach with um, and so we really like it when we get a chance to kind of talk to people within these spaces and kind of merge our own ideas of what this space means with the ideas of other people who are occupying them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, sounds great. I mean, how, what I was kind of thinking when you were explaining it then is like, how do you even, how do you even start putting something together like this um, in terms of is it like the history of the genre from start to finish? Um, so the because plan... I know that in search of uh, sorry, I know that in search of darkness obviously goes year by year. Yeah, um, but with something like this, how do you even begin to plan? Is there like a narrative that you want to like? Yeah, yeah, totally. Follow? So, so the narrative, the narrative we are following, um, we're taking kind of a similar angle to uh, FPS doc, um, which is a first-person shooter documentary we, produ we produced with the the likes of you know John Romero and John Carmack who made Doom in there. We've got Warren Spector who's like the guy who put together System Shock, Cliff Blazinski, lots of you know big important names in that space. So we kind of want to take what we did with uh, FPS stock um, and and take it in a, a bigger scale um, where we develop this as a series. We're taking in a kind of different approach so that we can kind of talk about broad horror subjects without neglecting anything. Um, so the narrative of our documentary is horror from sort of 
its early, early days to its modern space within the gaming medium. And with horror, though, because it isn't as defined a genre as FPS. Like, well, there are lots of subgenres within FPS. You've got your sort of boomer shooters. You've got your military shooters. Um, horror is so nebulous that within it, there's all of these different subgenres that don't even, you know, have a similar, like at least with first-person shooters, you were guaranteed that the game would be in first person. But we have first-person horror games and we have third-person horror games. Mm. Um, so there's really like, no kind of set defined rule when it comes to horror. A lot of people think of survival horror as the defining genre of horror. And that certainly mm -hmm. is probably the most definitive example of horror within the medium. But then, you know, we, we thought about doing something like, well, we could just do a straight five hour doc as our, is our normal kind of standard on just survival horror and still have to make some pretty big cuts because even yeah. that is kind of such a scope. Yeah. So what we kind of did is we took it in this series direction where we decided early on that as much as we want to focus on these like big franchises, like your Resident Evils, your Silent Hills, your Fatal Frames, we don't want to neglect everything else. So we're going to go look at horror from like start to finish. Like it's very, very early days. We're talking like Atari's Haunted House and 3D Monster Maze and follow that evolutionary path all the way up to like modern titles like The Last of Us. Um, but along the way, we're going to kind of take a leaf out of In Search of Darkness's book and sort of jump to particular subjects. So we want to do a focused chapter on you know, the 90s FMV movement with stuff like Phantasmagoria um, and Seventh Guest and uh, Harvester, stuff like that, because that's its whole thing, where if you only mm. did a documentary on survival horror, that entire sort of decade of content would just get pushed to the side. And then sure. we want to do a focus chapter on survival horror, a focus chapter on, like, the history of controversies and... Um, like oh, wow, controversial, okay. uh, like controversial cases, because horror is no stranger to controversy, but games as well are no stranger to controversy. So when you combine the two, they make for some big controversies. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of want to talk about like uh, censorship and um, like the development of you know the ESRB and stuff like that off the back of games like Doom. Um, want to talk about like people's responses to the the sort of increase in violence in the genre. And then, you know, we're gonna pull from stuff like uh there's there's other chapter focuses like um, you know, we'll maybe do like a subsection on like specifically the evolution of the stalker enemy, like the chaser enemy type, which kind of like yeah. came around with something like Resident Evil 2, and then we've got like a real evolution of that that's kind of come to something like alien isolation um there's lots and lots of angles we want to take it in uh if you go on our website we've kind of put up a synopsis that we're asking in yeah. the survey for you to sort of feedback on and that's got our like five sort of key chapters that we want to focus on um so you can read through it and break it down and and see what you think of it and you know if there's something we're really missing like please feel free to like throw it in the survey or if there's something you think should get even more exploration like let us know this is kind of what this part of the development phase is all about sure sure yeah of course we will do that um links in the show notes for all of those things um 
I mean, how was terabytes conceived? Was it kind of like, was this like kind of like an offshoot of FPS where it was just a conversation where, oh, we should probably make a whole doc on horror games as well? Was it, was there a part of the FPS document, uh, documentary that focused a bit on these sort of games? And then we thought we, there's so much more to discuss. So we didn't touch on horror games specifically within FPS. We did look at things like Doom, obviously, because you can't do a documentary on FPS and not talk about Doom. Um, yeah. But we did briefly, very briefly, and this was a long time ago, in one of the In Search of Darkness films, I can't even remember which one now, uh, there was like a brief chapter on video game section. Uh, so mainly like the early adaptations of things like Halloween and Texas Chainsaw mm. Massacre that kind of hit the Atari and just just sort of like a brief allusion to, oh yeah, this was also a thing that happened with these kind of 80s icons and it wasn't the 80s kind of strange time in terms of media crossover for these these slasher, like, well, icons, I've already used the term, but there really is no other term you can use to describe them. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily that it evolved from that. It was, it was actually uh, myself who brought the um, pitch forward to um, Robin Block, who's our CEO of the studio. And, you know, horror games is something I've always been very, very, very passionate about. And we were talking about another project I was developing with him that unfortunately I can't talk about right now, but, during these conversations, he'd mentioned we'd just launched FPS and he'd mentioned how well FPS was doing because I wasn't on that team, but he mentioned it was going really well, both in terms of like uh, critical and commercial success. And he was really happy with it, really proud of it. And the team should all be very, very proud. And I'd kind of said to him, I was like, well, listen, FPS is our first gaming doc. And that seems to be going really well. And, you know, I've seen it. I love it. I think everybody who's involved with it had a great time. Um, and In Search of Darkness is our flagship franchise. And that focuses very much on the horror genre. So why don't we just combine both worlds and make a horror gaming documentary? And Robin kind of says, like, that's an interesting concept. Um maybe, you know, come back to me with some market research, some pitches, some concepts we could look at. Um, and so from then, and this was a long time ago, you know, it's been in development for a while. From then, we've sort of had lots of meetings and there's been lots and lots of paperwork about this high um, covering <laughs> like everything from who could we have in it? What could they talk about? What questions should we ask them? Um, and taking it from that very early stage where it's just an idea on a piece of paper and just building it out and building it out and building it out and fleshing it out. And then it became, you know, we've got the trailer, we've got the landing page, we've got people we're talking to who have kind of signed on to do it and said, yes, now we've got a date for the pre-release. And it just kind of snowballed from there in terms of um, really capturing people's attention and really, um, with these projects, there's there's times when you do stuff and you just sort of you, you you put an idea out there and you know you know it's something you're passionate about and then you kind of give it a taste in the wider world of things. You know, you kind of make a little social media presence and sort of test the water as of like, but all other people are passionate about this and you shout into the void. With terabytes, we've found that. And I'm not surprised at all being somebody who's heavily involved in these spaces and just 
loves horror games. People love horror games. And we kind of sort of initially before we sort of said like, hey, we're doing this, we sort of like in a small kind of more testing environment sort of put it out of like, what if we did this? Would people be interested? Mm. And the response has been kind of explosive. Um, we're at the point now where we aren't even needing to approach key interview subjects they are approaching us which is really exciting yeah there's people on my sort of target list that we're gonna have meetings coming up to say like yeah okay so we need to get in touch with this person by this date and then before that meeting even happened they'd reach out to us and be like hey can i be in this and we're like that's a very good sign (laughs) um you're on the hit list anyway yeah, people are just great excited about it, excited to be a part of it, excited yeah. to kind of showcase what the horror subgenre within gaming has to offer. And there's so much, you know, there's so much in this world. Um, I mean, I haven't even talked about indie games, which is going to be a focus chapter, you know. Like, wow, yeah. that's at the point now. Indie games are at the point now, especially over the past decade, where they are almost as big, if not maybe even bigger than the survival horror boom that kind of gave mm. horror its identity within gaming. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and yeah, the point you made, the horror gaming community is incredibly passionate about the genre, but also like these, all these pockets of, of fandom, like with for each franchise and certain particular mm. games, sometimes just certain characters. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really intense and it's going to be great to see it all uh, come together. Of course, in search of darkness, the, the mega doc format takes, takes place across many hours. This one's going to be a five part series. Mm-hmm. Um, with, what was the thinking behind making it a five part series? Is it a five part series, but a similar sort of runtime or a shorter runtime? Uh, so it'll be like a, a, a similar sort of runtime to in search of darkness with just more focused chapters and then room for expansion in the future of any of those chapters uh, should we go down that route. Um, but yeah, the, the five part series um, concept was really just so that the more kind of obscure niches within this genre got their time to shine. Um, because like I say, you know, if we, if we just did, um, if we just did a series on the most requested horror games, it would probably just be five hours of Silent Hill and Resident Evil. And there's lots of other people out there who are, you know, those franchises are great. They're those incredible. pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah, t- absolutely. I mean, you could do a five hour documentary on just one resident evil game like literally just pick one out of a hat and there's there's something to talk about there for five hours um but our concern was as much as they are important to the genre and as much as they like defined um the, uh, the kind of iconography that a casual sort of audience associates with like i yes that is what a horror game looks like. It looks like a survival horror. It looks like Resident Evil. It looks like Silent Hill. It is first person and things go blah at your face or it's fixed camera perspective with tank controls. Like that, that they kind of like defined a lot of the language and they are very, very important titles. It would be a shame if all of these other incredibly important titles 
didn't get recognized or got drowned in the shadow of, you know, those giants. And so the, the series focus was really to kind of cover such a like diverse range of topics within this space without any one narrative dominating, because as historic as, and important as the likes of Silent Hill and Resident Evil are, this is primarily a documentary about the history of horror gaming. And Resident mm-hmm. Evil and Silent Hill are only, as important as they are, they are only a small part of that history. Mm-hmm. And we want to look at it all. You know, we want to look at everything from the weird off the wall Japanese exclusive titles to, you know, the indie hits to the 90s FMVs. It's really important to us that every sort of facet of this world gets like a time to shine. Um, and so that was why the series structure came about. Yeah. No, no, that, that makes that makes total sense as well. Um, and you probably could just pick one Resident Evil or Silent Hill game and make a five hour five hour oh, documentary yeah, about it. Especially, especially you know some of the key titles. Silent Hill Two, you could make a ten hour documentary on that and still have things to say. It's uh, yeah. those are, there's some special games within those franchises, and then we will certainly be, be looking at them, and we'll certainly you know give them the flowers. It's just. We're going to yeah. spread the flowers. We're going to spread the joy. We're going to spread the celebration. Yeah. A lot of other titles, you know, because we, we don't want something like that. Like take, for example, there's, there's a game called uh, project Firestart, which is very, very old, um, you know, 2d pixel based and a lot of like early survival horror tropes, um, you know, proceeding even alone in the dark, which a lot of people credit as being the first survival mm. horror but a lot of the survival horror tropes exist in that um and then if you go even further back you know arguably the first survival horror game was 3d monster maze so there's there's this really rich history outside of just those two or three key titles that doesn't get as explored as much as it maybe should and we want to kind of be the ones to really uh shine a light and archive that on a on a grand scale and scope that really um mm that brings in like a lot of the people who are important in the creation of that scale and scope, be they voice actors, you know, concept artists, directors, producers, writers, like we want to talk to them all and really get a sense of like all of the different artistic forms that go into creating this incredible uh, medium and this incredibly diverse, like um, subgenre within that medium. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, I guess, Dan, if we could talk about your relationship with horror games personally, then mm-hmm. uh, where where did it start for you? Was there a particular game that you the, do you remember the first horror game you played and what impact that had upon you? So it's it's always a it's always a funny story because it's it's almost like because I got into horror games so young as a kid, you know, your memories are a little fuzzy. So I always like struggle to remember which is first so it's kind of almost like a multiple choice answer um i do i do know one particular um story that like vividly uh sticks out in my head and that's that uh the first time i played uh the first resident evil on playstation one um because the funny thing with me being so involved in horror and the creation of like horror films and stuff and horror gaming um, is that I was always 
as a kid brought up with horror being something that was a bit taboo. Um, you know, I wasn't one of these kids that was allowed to play, you know, Grand Theft Auto at the age of 11. And so as a result, anything that was kind of age restricted was sort of off limits to us. And so that meant a lot of horror was kind of off limits to us. And as much as as enticing as something like Grand Theft Auto was, because it was all the kids at school talking about, it was always the horror stuff that was more interesting to me because that felt like a step even further into like the, you know, the no-no zone um, where it was like, (laughs) this stuff's bad, but this stuff's really bad. And that just kind of gets your little childish brain tickling of like, but why? Like what, what's in it? What what could possibly be? What about this is dangerous? You know, like that's, that's what it, how it felt. It felt dangerous. And um, my mom was very, very restrictive with the the content I uh, consumed. Um, I remember vividly that uh, when we went on a holiday once, she got me a magazine, a PlayStation 1 magazine to read in the car, only to later find out that it had a review of Nightmare Creatures in it. Not even like graphic detail from Nightmare Creatures, but a review of the PS1 game Nightmare Creatures. And the vague descriptions of the acts of like slaying monsters or getting stabbed that existed within that review uh made her throw it out and so even though like it was just one small section in this magazine i was obsessed over it was like nope get rid that we're not having that you know ban this sick filth kind of stuff (laughs) um so that that's the kind of relationship that i had with horror which obviously only made it more enticing and then i remember one day we were at a boot sale and i picked up this you remember like in the 90s a lot of people kept those cd wallets where it was just oh, like yes. wallets oh, just yes. full of discs. So it wasn't yeah. even a boxed copy of Resident Evil. I found this CD wallet. And in the CD wallet was a just a bundle of PS1 games going as far back as the wallet's end. And my mom had went, yeah, it's okay. You can get that. It's like a couple of quid, which is an insane deal for PS1 games back then. Um, and <laughs> yeah. also there's nothing in it that's inappropriate because she flicked through the first couple and went, okay, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Crash Team Racing, yeah, whatever, you, you know, jump and flash, you can have this. She didn't notice, luckily for me, that single copy of Resident Evil slotted <laughs> yes. somewhere in the middle. So for me, the um, it's funny, the iconic imagery of Resident Evil for me is not the box art. Lots of people no. would okay. gravitate to the box art. It's the disc. It's that white disc with yeah, the, eye the eye in the middle. And the pupil is where the hole is. Ah, oh, that... that chef's kiss that is so evocative to me i think of that image just the the the, the thought of that disc in my hand and it just it, it makes us like a child again it's like magical um <laughs> but yes yeah, so, yeah so i took resident evil home uh unbeknownst to my mother and resident evil is a pretty scary game anyway for a kid to be playing but it's a lot scarier when you're worried about getting caught playing resident yes. evil the whole time you're playing it so finger over the we, power button Oh yeah, well, we um, we growing up, um, we only had one TV for like a super super long time. So it meant there was this issue where like if I was playing games, um, and then my mom wanted to watch like EastEnders or whatever, you know, it was like get off your games. So mm. for that Christmas just passed, they'd got us a small little CRT that they put at the other side of the room and just kind of turned it away, and it had like a headphone jack so I could play games still. So I remember my mom was watching television at the other side of the room. So she was literally in the room with me. And I just kind of stealthily 
tilted the CRT <laughs> monitor away, headphones in, put Resident Evil in, and I was playing the whole game, just constantly eyes shifting of like, is she looking? No, we're good. Is she looking? No, we're good. Um, which only added to the tension. Yeah, and, it's stressful enough. Yeah, and I was like determined to not get caught so I couldn't exhibit any feeling of being scared. Like, not one jump, single iota of fear upon your face. Yeah. So I had to play it like I was just, you know, playing Crash Bandicoot. Um, Big smile on your face. Yeah. And uh, I remember I'd read about the dogs jumping through the window. So that's the one that gets everybody the first time. I yeah. knew the dogs were coming. I'd done my homework. I was prepared for them. I went that's through good. that hallway like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just no fear, relentless, merc- merciless. Get rid of the dogs. Get straight through. We're good. The one that got us was just shortly after that, there's a room where there's a, I believe there's a chest at the back with something you need to get in or a key. And there's just a zombie on the floor and it seems dead. And as you walk past it, it grabs your ankle and bites your ankle. And I was so sheltered from horror media. I knew vaguely the concept of zombies just from like pop cultural osmosis, but I'd never seen the, what's now a cliche of like, it's dead or no, it's not. So, Honestly, when that zombie bit my goddamn ankle, <laughs> I froze. Like, my, I nearly died. My heart sunk into my stomach. And all I remember doing was pausing the game. And I couldn't scream as much as I wanted to. So I just sat there white-knuckling the controller as all of the color drained from my face. And I just held very, very still, staring at the screen, just the grip, my iron grip, just crushing the handles of this poor PSX controller. And just are you okay? Are you okay, Dan? Yeah, <laughs> just Crash Bandicoot's been, been yeah. squashed by a boulder, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I remember that feeling of just like not being able to move to the point I was so scared I couldn't even turn it off. But I was like, do not show fear, do not show do fear. Not show and fear. internally, I am just screaming my heart out. And uh, yeah, and that was that was like the first time a game, to my knowledge, really, really, really scared us. And uh, but there was something about that experience that was like, yeah. ooh, that was terrifying. Kind of want to do it again. Kind of want to do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's addictive. It's, I mean, Resident yeah. Evil, Resident Evil One was was one of the first ones for me. Um, very similar as well. Like, um, I. I, f- I can't remember. I think I actually bought the game, but I took like a friend of mine who was much taller, who I thought could mm. pass for 15. Yeah. Got the game. Um, And when I, when I played Resident Evil and I played Resident Evil 2, I was always insistent that someone else was in the room with me just because <laughs> I, I, I kind of made out that I wanted someone else to experience it as well. This is great. You got to watch it. I just wanted someone to be there needed, to like almost. You needed the safety. I needed the hand, the handhold. Yeah, the dogs um, was a bit that got me. Obviously, the bit of the keeper's diary where you're reading the keeper's diary and the zombie comes out of the cupboard behind you. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah, um, yeah loads of stuff from Resident Evil Two as well. When, when, the, yeah, when the stalker enemy starts, you're just like, yeah. I can just go through this. I can just go through this door. There's absolutely no way any of these Mister X or Nemesis is going to be able to follow me. And then yeah, when they do, uh, when they do, that's that's the next level. It's why I love if you. I don't know if you've ever played the Resident Evil remake. I think it's one of the finest remakes to ever exist. Um, the, they the add game, in an the enemy. GameCube one. Yeah, they add in an enemy variant of the zombie in that called the Crimson Head. Oh yeah. Basically, if you leave the zombies <laughs> for long enough, 
oh, no. in the old game, you know, the ones that were dead, they were dead. These ones will mutate further. They go a reddish color, hence the Crimson Head name, and Horrible. they become faster and they will follow you everywhere and there's loads of them and oh, it's an incredible game incredible remake. and you could only burn them with like that little canteen of of gasoline and you could get like yes. what, two, two two lots yeah, of yeah you had to like you had to like shoot them in a way where the bodies would sort of pile up next to each other so the flame would oh, kind of carry yeah. over that was the that was the clever yeah. little resource management trick in that one yeah because you had like six inventory slots as well didn't you yeah it was uh, pretty limited intense um so in terms, in terms of horror games, and I guess one of the last things I should ask you is, uh, for horror game and new newbies, what five games would you suggest to get started in the subgenre? Ooh, for newbies, that's a very interesting question. So, um, I think um, there's an indie title called Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion. Um, it is used to be called Spooky's House of Jump Scares, but had to change its name um, for some strange legal reasons that I didn't quite understand because the thing that said you have to change your name was not even remotely related to games, but whatever. Um, yeah. So Spooky's, Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion is really, really, really great. It's this, uh, the entire premise of the game is you play as this person who wanders into this mansion at the top of the hill and there's a cute little ghost in there, like really adorable little, you know, kind of like a plushy character who's like, hey, this is my mansion. I'm spooky. I'm a little ghost girl. And um, this is my sort of like fun house setting. And can you get through a thousand, thousand rooms? Like, well, we'll see. And you literally just have to walk through a thousand rooms. And at the start, you know, the jump scares are little cardboard cutouts, literally just popping out and it's like oh, okay this is kind of like twee and cute and almost like mm. a parody of horror games and then slowly as you get deeper into that mansion it starts to like ramp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up and it genuinely elicits some real real good scares um which you would not expect from the sort of name and the cutesy presentation um and that yeah. one i think is an excellent starter game because it's very simple to play. It's very pick up and play. You're going to get a different experience every time because the rooms are randomized. And uh, it's like, oh, wow. yeah, and it's 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 like because of its cutesy start, it's accessible and it kind of brings you into its mechanics easily at first. And then, you know, when you're eventually being chased, you kind of have a good solid grip on these things. Uh, so Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion would be one for me. It's not going to be on many people's list, but it should be. It needs to be more known. It's fantastic. <laughs> Um, it, it, it's such a tricky question because it all depends on the person because I also want to say Iron Lung which is a very short um, experience where you play as a guy who is doomed to take a submarine down to the depths of this blood ocean and explore what's down there and it's a great example of like minimalist um, horror you know it's mm -hmm. you're very limited in what you can do in that game it's it's a short experience. You're trapped in this submarine and there's no other. It, all you can do is like take photos of the outside world and maneuver with the interface at the front. And it is so immersive and so gripping the entire runtime and has one of my favorite scares in gaming that I will not spoil, but it is 
fantastic. Um, then the other obvious one would be a Resident Evil one. But I would actually say maybe not Resident Evil 1. Um, because if you're completely new to horror and you haven't grown up on it, I think the fixed camera perspective and tank controls might frustrate yeah. you. I would say the next best one would maybe be Resident Evil 4. I think that's still very accessible by modern standards. But I would say it's not as scary. I would say it sort of get accessible and scary and really kind of immerse yourself in the horror world. I'd go Resi 7. I thought you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say that one. Resi 7 is still terrifying, but it's, you know, it's a, it's, if you've played a first-person shooter, you can play it. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not, it isn't a first-person shooter. It's very much a first-person survival horror, but it's, it's got all of the sort of modern sensibilities of a modern first-person shooter that make it really accessible. Modern to sensibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Dan. And I'm just going to say, Resi 7 doesn't feel like a quintessential Resident Evil game until it does. There's just yeah. a moment in that game where everything just falls into place and you're like, okay. This is Resident Evil. For a while, I'm like, this isn't Resident Evil. But then, yeah, yeah everything just yeah. falls into place. Yeah, um, and it, and it's got you know a really great um like Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe to it. So if you're a fan of like horror cinema, it's a great one to jump on because it uses so much of like horror cinema imagery to kind of paint its like aesthetic and vibes. And yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely adore Resident Evil 7. I genuinely think it's one of the strongest games in that franchise, of which is a franchise full of strong games. Yeah. Uh, ooh, what next? What next? I, I know what my last one's going to be, but I'm saving it for last. Um, a little known gem, and this is personal bias. I don't know that it's necessarily a quintessential horror title, but it's one of my favorites. A little known gem called Yuppie Psycho. Um, that is a game made by Baroque Decay, a small publisher, a small developer um, based out of France, I believe. Um, and that is a game where you play as an office worker who turns up to his job and has no idea what he's doing at this new place of employment. And then they say to him, like, oh, yeah, uh, you are the uh, witch hunter. And he's like, what? Like, what do you mean witch hunter? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've got a witch. Uh, it's your job to hunt that. And it is this really hilarious and yet still really scary, um, like, biting black comedy that is just this incredible satire of, like, corporate culture and just such a takedown, like a biting takedown of like the horrors of the mundanity of office life. That to me, it represents such a, a, a key aspect of the horror game, horror genre within games. And that is just how broadly diverse and different the experiences can be. Because Yuppie Psycho is a fantastic horror game but it's not like any of the other games I've suggested. It's very, very different in its approach to how it does horror. It's it's funny. It's funny, and not many horror games can claim that. I reckon, but it's I reckon still I, scary. I recognize the cover of this game, and I had absolutely no idea it was it was it's horror fantastic. in any way. Fantastic! So. It's fantastic. I really recommend it. And then last, but certainly not least, is one of my favorite games of all time, and that's Silent Hill Two. And that's just because it is the most perfect thing to ever exist in any form <laughs> of any fiction ever. 
Um, I will not articulate that further. It is flawless. Okay, you don't have to. You don't have to. How are you feeling about the remake? I will withhold judgment until it comes out, though I can admit to being nervous. Yeah, oh, that, that's all I'll say. <laughs> I think as more time goes by and we, the more we're not seeing any more, because I know everyone's impatient and everybody's, yeah. Um, I know they put out something to say. We are working on it. Don't worry. It's, yes, it's, it's yes. On its they way. Just, yeah, they've, they've just released a statement saying like, oh, the only reason we're not saying anything is because Konami says we can't say anything, but we've got stuff yeah. together. I mean, the trailer does look great. So I'm, The trailer I'm, did, did look I- impressive. Um I there's there's some stuff in there where I was like, hmm, but I, I can't really judge until it, it comes out. And uh, you know, the the developers are uh divisive. Mm-hmm. Um but you know yeah. there are games in their back catalogue that I do like. Um so yeah, um I mean I hope I hope by all means they, they knock it out of the park. Um so we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, talking of remakes as well, what Resident Evil game do you think should be remade next? Should any of them oh. be remade next? Yes, yes. I think the so I it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, within like Hollywood and within cinema, a remake is always something you kind of roll your eyes at. But remakes of games quite often. Are, are very exciting um especially if capcom's on the ball um because you know some of their remakes are of resident evil games are some of the best games in that franchise the yeah, most definitely yeah the resident evil one remake i genuinely believe to have improved on the original which maybe is a hot take but i think yeah. it is I, I think Resident Evil One's fantastic i think resident evil remake is a much better game i think Especially how it looked on the on the tech it released on originally, like that game, you can boot it up now and it still mm. looks like a, a PS4, PS5 game. It's in mad to think that that amazing. game came out. Mad to think that that came out in two thousand and two. What yeah. six years and, after the original? Yeah, and it, it looked beautiful, and it still looks beautiful. They did some very clever um trickery with how they like rendered the environments and stuff that i in that game to really pull out all of the power and then some of the gamecube um so yeah resident evil remake was great um and resident evil 2 remakes great and resident evil 4 remakes great um 4 was the one i was really skeptical on because i'm like how do you improve on 4 like it's 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 a yeah. perfect game it's like one of the greatest games of all time but resident evil 4 remake was very good and the separate ways dlc was better than the Amazing. separate ways e- yeah every, everything that everyone complained about that was missing in the resident evil 4 remake is there in separate ways yeah and um, it is infinitely better than the separate ways campaign that came out yeah, on the PS2 version of the game. Definitely. That was just an asset flip. Um, for the most part anyway. Uh, but the yeah, they've done some amazing stuff. So yeah, I do think they should keep remaking Resident Evil games, especially when the remakes are not just great ways to play the old games, but exist as their own incredible entity that are like well worth playing buy all rights as an isolated thing not just as a remake of something else and i think the next remake everybody says code veronica and i think that's maybe one we're going to get i think 
I'm, I'm going to go a bit more weird and obscure with it. I think it should be the Game Boy Color game. I think they should remake Resident, Resident Evil, Evil Gaiden. Guide, Gaiden. Yeah, I think it's called I Resident mean, Evil Gaiden. I'm would, to think now. Yeah, yeah, Resident Evil Gaiden. That um, would be that would be a deep cut, but it I would be, be a left field deep cut, and it would be you know I I don't think we'll ever see it because it's like that they've like officially said like oh it's not canon and yeah. stuff and whatever. But the reason I think they should remake Resident Evil Gaiden is because I think it's an interesting one to do that isn't just following your typical mainline games. And mm-hmm. I think, for me, it has one of the most interesting settings that we've not really yeah. seen again since, apart from a little bit in Resident Evil Revelations, and that mm-hmm. is the ship. I really like the idea of a fully yeah. fleshed-out, you know, modern Resident Evil game on a boat. Yeah. That's cool. Like Definitely. throwing zombies off the side and having to like <laughs> avoid, you know, being in like these big boss fights, but you're in a storm and the boat, the boat's yeah. like swaying and stuff. I think there's a lot of cool stuff you could do with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, there's Dead Aim, isn't there? Which was, um, yeah, that's, like, that, that's, uh, that's a bit iffy, isn't it? Um, yeah. kind of, kind I of also like think a... outbreak, the outbreak files. Outbreak yeah, one yeah, two, yeah. The, the, with the online gameplay that was i think outbreak would have been huge if it came out a generation later but it came yeah. out on like ps2, PS2 when not yeah. really people, people didn't really use the sort of ps2's online functionality i don't think out- i ever i ever played it online i only ever played yeah. it with ai so um and yeah i mean talking about resident evil 7 as well there is obviously a li- little bit of a section on a boat um which, which again is great, and I, I always kind of thought a bigger um, experience on a boat would. Yeah, be, would and be uh, Resi Seven's boat section's really good, but it's also a grounded boat. I like the idea of a boat at true, sea. You know, true. there's nowhere to escape. Swaying you know, and stuff, yeah. swinging and stuff. Storm risks. Like I think you can get a lot out of that that setting. Strangely, Resident Evil Gaiden scared me as well. I think it was the soundtrack. It was ever so creepy and unnerving just uh... um there's there's something about like retro soundtracks like this this is an embarrassing one to admit but one of the scariest <laughs> things in games for me is uh from from my childhood anyway like it's when i when i was a kid i was terrified of it, it was uh lavender town in pokemon oh god <laughs> just that that music <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. and there's, there's nobody in the town and no there's no npcs yeah. to talk to and you're just walking through and it's just got that horrible do 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 Man, Get me horror, out of this place. Horror crops, yeah, horror crops up in some strange places sometimes, and uh, Pokemon isn't one of them I expected to have horror, but when it did, it it terrified me as a kid. I love it when it does, though. I love it when it pops up in an unexpected place. Um, yeah. I don't know if you if you played Spider Man Two. Um, Not yet, no. That again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a very brief section where I was like, "This feels like a horror game. What's going on? I did not expect mm. this." That's um, exciting. Yeah. That's great. It's always it's always great when horror um, pops up in unexpected places. Okay, yeah, wonderful. Another um, one would be uh, Batman Arkham City when you grapple the thing and then Man Bat. Man Bat screams at you. No way. That's horrific. Yeah, and Killer Croc in the first one jumping up mm-hmm. out of the the water. Yeah. great stuff, stuff, man. Um, so where can our listeners keep up to date with any updates from Terabytes? So we have a Facebook and Instagram and a Twitter. Uh, I would say follow the Twitter. That's where you're going to get probably the most updates. It's all updated, but um, we, you know, we, we retweet a lot of like people who are sort of talking about it and stuff and might be involved and things. Um, so uh, yeah, good. follow us on all channels, but uh, Twitter is a good one to follow. And it is just 
terabytes everywhere at terabytes. Terra spelt uh, terabytes spelt T E R R O R B Y T E S because it's a fun pun. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, love a pun. Uh, got new. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you also go on our website terabytesdoc.com. Or if you go on the Create a VC website, which is our company website, and look for terabytes under the projects tab, you can fill out the survey and you'll be kept up to date if you fill out the survey of like any new news. When we drop a mm -hmm. new trailer, you'll be one of the first to hear. Um, when we drop the release date for the pre-release, when we drop like pre-orders, like you'll be the first to hear on all of that. So, and you'll also get to, you know, potentially shape a little bit of horror history because we yeah. might very much use your input and uh, would very much appreciate your thoughts. Most definitely. So please, Wonderful. please do do that and we I, will keep in, in touch. I think if you're a horror gamer, I urge everybody to follow um, because since I've followed Terabytes on social media, the amount of games that popped up and I've gone, oh my God, I have not thought about that game in such a long time and now I want to play it again. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we you know we spotlighted a lot of games over the time. Now we're more into sort of since the trailers dropped, like promoting the actual documentary. But there will be eventually, you know, between when we're like in production and there's stuff going on, we'll keep things updated there and start talking about games and stuff again. It's 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 just a fun account to follow, even if you you know weren't in the dark if you just into horror games. Like it's just fun to kind of scroll yeah, through yeah, and definitely. look at all the things. Brilliant. Um, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Daniel. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed the show, become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash horror hangout. Uh, thanks to Taj Easton for our theme music and thanks to ACAST for hosting the show. Uh, thanks so much, Daniel. It's been, a, it's been great to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. See you soon. Bye. See you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.